0: So this morning we're going to return to our series we began a few weeks ago, we're looking at Paul's description. Um, of the marks of a true Christian that he lays out for us in Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21, we've been kind of going through that together. We're calling our series "Live Out Loud." We want our lives to reflect the one that we love so much. Right? How ought the faith that we profess manifest itself in our lives? How do we allow our lives to speak louder than our words? What ought our Christianity look like in this world that we are called to live as missionaries to, right? That's what Spurgeon said, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And so what does it look like to allow allow our faith to be lived out in the world around us? We talked about this idea that our love ought to be authentic, right? That's what Paul says. Let your love be genuine. Let it be sincere, A reflection of the love of God, right? Not the love of this world, because the love of this world is extremely confusing. It kind of tags that word love to everything. But if we want to get an idea of what love is, we've got to know who God is, right? Because God is love. And so we went through 1 Corinthians 13 and saw how love is made manifest in our lives and how we are to reflect that love in the world. Likewise, we are to abhor evil. All that which is evil, that which is contrary to God's nature, that word abhor, it's the only time in the entire New Testament that word is used. There's no stronger word for hatred than this word abhor. And the scripture calls us to abhor that which is evil. That which is evil is contrary to the character and nature of God. And we, who are God's people, need to love what God loves and we need to hate what God hates. And we talked about the importance of making sure that we are abhorring evil things, not people, right? We are not to demonstrate our hatred towards people, but, but to, towards the sin that wraps people up and tangles them in. We need to pray for the, the lives and souls of people. We ought to outdo one another. We looked at last week, the importance of outdoing one another and showing honor, right? Go out of our way create a contest if you will right this this idea of how can I outdo one another in showing honor we talked about the importance of doing that to all people collectively as the scripture calls us to do but then we also saw categorically there are some areas that the scripture calls us to demonstrate honor in regards to honoring our parents Right? It's the first commandment of the promise right? We see the importance of honoring our governing authorities Whether you agree with them or not We are to honor our governing authorities We are to honor our law enforcement That God has put in place for our good Right, And, and be sure to be praying for them Recognizing that God places them in, in, in the places that they are in We are to honor our religious leaders The scripture says That we are to show honor So today we we kind of move forward in our text uh, And and we're focusing now on verses 12-13 through of Romans chapter 12 We're going to kind of circle back to that text together If you have your Bibles, let's look together at Romans chapter 12 In verse 13, I'll read it out and then we'll kind of unpack it together Romans chapter 12, verses 12 Paul writes and says, says, rejoice in hope Be patient in tribulation Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In these, two, in these two verses, we see five things that distinguish us as growing, mature, and true Christians. That's the, that's the purpose of Paul's writing. He wants to highlight what are the marks of a Christian, right? does a true Christian look like? In these two verses, we see five areas that ought to be present in our lives to demonstrate that we are a true christian and just to kind of remind you we're not looking at this through the lens of what everybody else is doing but we're looking this instead in a mirror and saying what am i doing how ought i grow in this area how can i surrender to the to the, the leading of the holy spirit so that my life might reflect this call because it's a lot easier looking out there than it is looking in the mirror amen And oftentimes the things we can't tolerate out there is because we we won't deal with it in here. And so God calls us, before we point a finger at everybody else, we gotta make sure we realize there's three more fingers pointing right back at us. And so we want the word of God to challenge us right, to kind of get into our lives, to to point out gently, as only the Holy Spirit can, those areas that need to change. And then we don't beat ourselves up or walk around in shame. But then we look and say, Lord, will you grow me in this area? Jesus, help me to reflect you in this area of my life. And so we see five things in these two verses, and we're going to go through them this morning today. He says, number one, he says, rejoice in hope. I like that if there's anybody on God's earth that ought to be hopeful today especially today it's God's people rejoice in hope we're not just called to be people who merely have hope but Paul says we ought to rejoice in hope I want to bring a distinction out between having hope versus rejoicing in hope the very nature of the word hope is an active word there's 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 nothing apathetic about the word hope hope by its very nature is an active word because it looks beyond the immediate to what is ahead right so that's what hope does by its very nature it looks beyond what we're presently walking through and realizes that there's something more hope by its very nature is an active word but paul kind of escalates this idea of hope a little more in this passage by highlighting that we're not only to be having hope but we are to be rejoicing in hope rejoicing in hope having hope is is something that we remind ourselves in of in difficult times don't we Oftentimes, we'll find ourselves in the midst of a storm, and then we take a moment of pause. We're like, wait a minute, I have a hope that goes beyond this. I realize that my present situation is not what I want it to be, but I have a hope, and, and there's this decisive action that takes place somewhere between here and here, working together, and we move our current feelings in the, in, in the direction of hope. So rejoicing or having hope causes us to remind ourselves that rejoicing in hope is something that we're actively, intentionally, and continually engaged in regardless of what we're walking through in our lives at the moment. Rejoicing in hope causes us to look at every situation through the lens of hope. Not just the reminder of hope. It's something we walk in not something we need to be reminded of it's kind of like it's kind of like you know imagine you get this vacation planned at the at the end of the year you're going to i don't know where you're going you're going wherever you want to go right but you're going to take a plane you're going to get somewhere and you're excited and counting down the days you've got the countdown on your app and you're just you're so excited you have a hope that you're going to get there. And in the midst of your day and everything else, is kind of like, oh yeah, i got to remember, I'm going on vacation, man. It might be snowing out there, but Andrew, I'm going to Hawaii, right? I know that's where you want to be. And so, I want to be where, that's where I'm going. And, and so, it's this idea of having a hope in the midst of our day. But rejoicing in hope is different. Rejoicing in hope is not this thing that's going to happen someday in the sweet by and by. Rejoicing in hope is, we got in the plane, we're on our way, and everything around us reminds us that, man, we're going on vacation you see rejoicing in hope takes that reality and it it causes us to walk in it every moment of our day regardless of what's going on it makes it a right now reality in our lives rejoice in hope not being on the receiving end or reacting to every little thing that's going on around us but realizing that no matter what's going on around me I've got this hope that God is in charge it, it's, a, it's a mindset it's a mindset that doesn't get knocked off course when something gets introduced into our life that is not what we want it to be. What is our hope anyway? Paul re- reminds us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into, his gra- into this grace in which we stand. Look, he says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our our hope is connected to the glory of God. Our greatest hope lies in the glory of God. That's that when Jesus taught us to pray, he said what? Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when the glory of God is made manifest in my life, then I'm walking as I'm designed to walk. And I reap the blessings that come from that loving relationship with my savior. When the glory of God is made manifest in my family, or in my church, or in my community, or in my world, that means that God is central to all things, and when that happens, it results in everything being carried out the way in which God designed for it to be. Our hope is in the reality that, that God's glory is gonna be made manifest, and everything will point to and flow through him. Now, that's not going to be our, the reality for the world at this time in which we live. But there's coming a day, folks. And I think it's gonna be a lot sooner than anybody would ever imagine. That Jesus was going to rapture his church. And this world was going to enter into a time of tribulation unlike it's ever thought possible. And then we who were caught up with him will return with him. And Jesus will set up his kingdom here on the earth. And will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And after that period of time... Jesus is going to take all of the sin, Satan, the false prophet, the antichrist, the fallen angels, all of those who have rejected Christ and kick kick them into the lake of fire. And the presence of sin will be gone. And everything will be as God designed for it to be. That is our hope. And our hope is sure. It is a hope of where we're going but we need to rejoice in that hope. We need to live in that reality. And so when I see what's going on in the world around me, my heart breaks as does yours, as we see the innocent lives that are being taken in Ukraine and and, and knowing that things like this are going on all around the world. And it's wrong and it's heartbreaking and it's not what God has designed for it to be. And I I don't know about you, but I just, I watch that and I just think, God, I don't know what to do with those emotions. I, I don't know where to, I don't know where to place them. But I do know this, that this world is not living as it was designed to be. And there's coming a day where all of the sin and sickness and hatred and anger and murder, all of this will be gone. And we will be with him forever. And the presence of sin and the fruit of sin will be gone. And I want to walk in that now. And so when I see this on the news, I constantly pull to my remembrance that God is in control of all things. His glory and his purposes will come to pass. And what I don't understand now, there'll be a time where we look back with the luxury of hindsight and we'll see the fingerprints of God all over it. And what will it result in? It will result in the glory of God. Because everything is about the glory of God. We are merely the beneficiaries of his love. And his grace, right? Even our salvation is not about us, it's about the glory of God, but we are recipients of this glorious gift, and it's in that that we bow our heads and we say, "Worthy, are you alone? Oh God?" We need to be really careful, especially in this dark time in which we live. It's important that we ensure that our greatest news source is not what we tune into on TV, but the very word of God. We need to make sure we hold. I want to encourage you because I know we are being bombarded with information from every possible angle. And I'm not saying we unplug and and become unaware of what's going on, but we need to filter it through the fact that God is in control. God is aware of these things. We need to pray. We need to prepare. But we need to trust that God is in control. And we need to remind remind ourselves of the hope that that is within us first peter chapter one uh, in uh, chapter three verse 15 that's what peter says but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and as the days get darker the church needs to get brighter and the only way that the church is going to shine in the, dark, in the midst of dark places is if the church doesn't engage in the same darkness that the world is engaging in. Let our light shine, Jesus said, so that the world might see our fruit and see our lives and see that God is real. Secondly, we, we need to be patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. Rejoice in hope and then patient in tribulation. Being a Christian, as you know far too well, does not make us immune to the hardships and the tribulations of life. Jesus reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount that, that He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so we recognize that just because we're a Christian, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times. I'm sorry if somebody sold you a bag of goods that told you that, you know, once you become a Christian, everything's going to be wonderful. That's just not true. Jesus is very clear about that, but here's the difference. What distinguishes the Christian from the rest of the the world is that no matter what we're going through, he comes to us with a purpose. You are not the victim of circumstances. Nothing comes into your life that is unknown to God. God allows things into your life for your good and for his glory. And so everything that comes in or out of our life, it has a purpose. And in that, I can rest. And it is in that that I can have, I can have, I can have peace. And I can therefore then be patient even in tribulation. Too many times we get overwhelmed by what we see because we, we inadvertently put ourselves at the center of all things. Which, in all fairness, is a very American thing. Right? A lot, it's not a dig on our country. I love our country. But Americans feel like the world revolves around them. And Christians think that the church revolves around, the, the world revolves around, uh, the, the church, uh, that God's purposes and plans revolve around the church in America. And we need to be careful that we don't put ourselves in the center of what God is doing, but we put Christ in the center of what God is doing. And we recognize that God has a plan and a purpose. And while we're along, we're, while we may be along for the journey, it's not about us. And when we recognize that. It allows us to be patient in tribulation. The extension of patience is directly connected to our awareness of God's sovereignty. Our ability to be patient in tribulation is directly connected to our awareness and our embracing, embracing of, of God's sovereignty. He is, he is in control of all things, even the timing of things. And that's really hard, right? Because if you're a doer and a completer And you're like that person who likes to get things in the done box As quick as possible You want to expedite things in a way that you think Makes sense in the timeline That makes sense to you But what we don't realize is God is above the timeline And he is aware of all the things That need to take place And at the right time, never too late Certainly never too early God will always come through But it's always in his time And so we need to be patient in tribulation Job knew what it was to have patience in tribulation I mean here is a man of God blameless he loses his children he loses his livestock he loses all of his wealth he loses his health he's being attacked and he ha- you know we know what was going on but Job had no idea why this was being unleashed on him he had no idea why this was happening he had no idea when or if it was ever going to end And in the 23rd chapter of Job, he asks the understandable question that oftentimes maybe you have asked. Where is God? Where are you, God? Listen to his his, his calling out to God in Job chapter 23. Job Job said, Today, Also, my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Have you ever felt that? That I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him, and, and I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would know then what he would answer me. And then I would finally understand what he would say to me if I could only get into his presence and find him. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. There is an up there, an upright man can argue with him and and would be acquitted forever by my judge. He's saying if I could only get an audience with God... I know I would be vindicated because I know my God is good. And in Job's mind, he's thinking there's no possible way God is aware of what's going on in my life right now because if he was aware and I could have an audience with him, he would change it. He said, behold, I I go forward, but but he is not there. I go backward, but I, I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, and I do not see him. I look to the north, the south, the east, the west. God, I don't see you. I don't know where you are, but he says these words. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold he was aware that no matter what he was going through, God was going to deliver him. And there was going to be a period of time, and even in the midst of his deepest questions, he knew that there was going to be a point that God would bring gold out of his life. Maybe you're here today and you've thought that, or said that, or felt that, God, where are you? I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. But I do know this that gold will come out because you were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He will never forget you. But David said, I have been young and now I am old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He that began a good work in you, he's going to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Be patient in tribulation. The marks of a true Christian surrenders the timing and leaves the rescue to God. How do we do that? Number three, Paul says be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Being constant in prayer isn't a picture of someone who just attends every prayer meeting, although that's very important. Being constant in prayer is not twisting God's arm to get him to do what we want him to do. Being constant in prayer is surrendering to God's purposes and plans and submitting our will to his. It's not so much an activity as much as it is an intentional mindset to recognize that we live our lives in the presence of God. And we ought to always be in communion with him. It is an ongoing conversation with the Holy One. Paul tells the church of Thessalonica pray without ceasing. How how do you do that? Because it's not just the action of what's coming out of your mouth, it's the present, it's putting yourself present in the presence of God every moment of every day and wherever you find yourself, recognizing that God is at work in you and through you. It's a lifestyle, not a formula. We we love formulas. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 7 through 13, right? Look what Jesus says in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount. Most famous prayer ever, right? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. Do you realize what Jesus said here? Jesus is like, listen, don't come before God thinking that the repetition of your prayers or the formula of your prayers are going to change anything. God knows what you have need of before you even ask. And you know what we did with that instruction? We turned it into a formula. It's called the Our Father. He clearly says here not to do this. He says instead pray like this Our father in heaven Hallowed be your name Your kingdom come Your will be done On earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts As we also forgive our debtors And lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil You the our father how many of you, and you don't have to do it, but if I said to you, if I started right now, our Father, who art, and you, you jump right in, you knew. But why? Because it's been ingrained that this formula, this way of doing it, is going to somehow move the hand of God. Jesus was not giving us a formula or a structure that we are to re- be repetitively bringing before the throne. He's saying listen don't it's not about the repetition of your words but recognize when you come into the presence of God you recognize our father you are in heaven you're not like the fathers of this world you are you are over me you are great and you are my father holy is your name It's recognizing whose presence we come into. It's recognizing that he is unlike anybody else we have ever experienced. You are the Holy One. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Because, Lord, left to my own devices, I want my kingdom, I want my will, and I will try to navigate everything I possibly can to make come to fruition that which I think should be put in motion. But, God, prayer reminds me of who you are and how holy you are. And so, Lord, I surrender my will. I surrender my solutions. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you just just give me what you want for me to have. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, would you help me to stop chasing after the things that I think I need? Would you give me that which you want me to have? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of those ways that I I fail to recognize your holiness Forgive me Forgive us, my, forgive us our debts those, those times that That we live in accordance with our old ways Forgetting who we are And likewise God help me to forgive others as well Help me not to hold against anybody else Forgiveness Knowing how I've been so freely forgiven Help me to be an extension Of that God God That will help me to not be led into temptation. But Lord, deliver me from evil. You see, Jesus wasn't giving us a formula, but a way of life. That's what that is. That's what it means to live out our faith realizing our father who's in heaven sees all he is holy he knows what we want he knows what we need and he is able to provide how do we pray without ceasing? we walk in the awareness that god is omnipresent and he is omniscient he knows everything there is to know about everything and everyone Living out loud means we're rejoicing in hope, we're patient in tribulation, we're constant in prayer. And number four, we're contributing to the needs of the saints, is what Paul said. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You see, this is about more than just giving. It's about stewardship. You see, we are stewards of what God has placed into our hands, we are not owners, we own nothing. God has given us the ability to have and make everything we have and what God calls us to be is stewards of those things, not owners. The reason God initiated and never withdrew the tithe is not because God needs our money. Tithing is our expression of God's ownership of all things. When we trust God with the tithe, not only are our needs met in ways that we never thought on paper it would work, but our hearts become guarded against covetousness and we have opportunity to meet the needs of others. That's how God set it up. Now, I've heard the arguments. I've I've followed the logic or the lack thereof. I've even seen the videos that would suggest that tithing is no longer required in the New Testament. It's bad theology at best, and self-serving and deceptive at worst. The tithe was initiated before the law of Moses. It was affirmed by Jesus and practiced by the church throughout the ages. And it's the way in which God provides and meets the needs of the saints. And when we have opportunity to contribute to the needs of the saints, we become co-laborers with Jesus. And we share in the blessing of being used by God to meet the needs of others. What a beautiful way in which God, you see, what God calls us to do is to live our lives like this, as stewards. So God can say, I'm gonna meet that need over there. I'm gonna meet that need over there. And, but in order for me to meet those needs, I'm gonna pour into this one so I can keep this tank full so it can continue to pour out. That's how God operates. It's When he has people who are willing to, let go of ownership and see themselves as stewardship, stewards, you'll be amazed. That's why it's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing on you so much so that you you can't contain it. And So it's a call to, to, to not... And for a pastor, it's always hard to have this conversation because they're like, well... Of course you want everybody to tithe Because you make your money from the church And and it's kind of like It's really not about that God will provide my needs no matter what It's about seeing ourselves as stewardship Stewards, it's a discipleship issue It's not a money issue That's why the scripture says so much about money Because the You've heard me say it a million times The wallet bone is connected to the heart bone Right? And so it's not that God needs your money It's not that the church needs your money We need to see ourselves as stewards because when when we become owners of things, covetousness takes place in our hearts and we need to guard against that. Lastly, Paul defines the marks of a true Christian as showing hospitality, showing hospitality. Actually, what Paul says here is in verse 13, he says, look, he says, seek to show hospitality. In other words, look for it. Go out of your way to show hospitality. Now, while we ought to show hospitality to everyone, this is connected to contributing to the needs of the saints, where he just talked about. And what Paul is pointing out is the importance of showing hospitality first and foremost to one another in the body of Christ. That's what, it starts at home First. And it needs to be, and, and, then, and the overflow of what's going on here needs to pour out into the world around us. And listen, there's enough there of, 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 of godliness and hospitality and utilizing our gifts and, 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 and all of the disciplines that we've learned. And all of that ought to pour out from each other to the world around us. This isn't the only place that Paul will call the church to first take care of home. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 Paul tells the church of Galatia, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. And so we need to care for one another. That's what the church ought to do. It's what we we are designed to do. In fact, the New Testament study of the one another paints a great picture of the ways in which the church is to interact with one another. And as we, as we look throughout the scriptures and we see the many calls and the many ways in which we are designed to do things together, we, it, it goes back to what I said last week, what a powerful force the church is. What a beautiful picture. All oh, that the church would look like the scripture is designing us to look like. He's working on us. He's conforming us in that image. There's snapshots of this in and out of our lives and in and out of our church and around here and around the world. But, but we're a body. And when, when the body's firing all cylinders, you know what we call that? Health. Right? But when the body's not firing on all cylinders, we call that sick. And nobody wants to be sick, right? And so what the scripture gives us is ways for us to be healthy. And the way that we are to do that is we, are, we have this list of, of one another's. Let me give some to you. You'll see a bunch of them pop up there. We're called to love one another. We are called to be devoted to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to live in harmony with one another. We are to accept one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to care for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to forgive one another we are to be patient with one another. Could you imagine what this place would look like if we were all like committed to, to following through on all of these one another's that we see here in the scriptures? What a dynamic and powerful and safe place it would be to be kind and compassionate to one another, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to submit to one another. To look to the interest of one another. To teach one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to stir one another up, like, to show hospitality to one another, to employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. To clothe ourselves with humility towards one another to pray for one another and to even confess our faults to one another do you know what would happen if I confessed my faults to everybody else yeah they probably would realize they're just like you and that step of humility might be the open door that that person might need to walk into a safe relationship one in others Show hospitality to one another. What is hospitality? It's more than just taking people into your home. It's taking them into your hearts. You see, it's in the community of all of those one and others that we grow together. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood a holy nation, God's own special people. We're designed to be together, to grow together, to pursue Jesus together, to impact the world together. And we're always at our best and most effective when we're living in harmony with one another. Seeking to show hospitality Taking one another into our hearts and our homes because because we're better together. What are the marks of a Christian that Paul lays out in these two verses? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality to the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, you have laid out for us all that needs to be done for us to walk in harmony and health and fulfillment in the way in which you've designed for the church to walk. God, I pray that these words would not bring judgment, but would bring encouragement of what you're doing in us for we are your workmanship. and Lord, none of us have, 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 will never be complete on this side of eternity, but you're conforming us day by day into the image of Jesus, and we're so thankful for that. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the bride of Christ, a people that you love so much that you sent your son to die for. Thank you that the bride goes beyond the four walls of Integrity Church but all throughout Long Island and New York and the United States and all around the globe the body of Christ is the object of your love and affection is your bride. And oh how we look to that day where the presence of sin will be gone and we will stand before you face to face and be with you forever. Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.